When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Sunday, August 4th, 2019, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti once again filling in for Adam Kaufman here on this Sunday. Today's show, episode 326, featuring NBC Sports Boston's Chris Forsberg. It's brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Beat and use the promo code CLNS50, that's 5-0, for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $25 or more. Welcome inside another edition of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media. Evan Valenti with you filling in for Adam Kaufman. Adam taking the week off, uh, having a little surgery. It's Adam. Uh, we'll Ooh. be back. Yeah, yes, Chris. He's having a little surgery. He'll be back fairly soon. He could be back next week. You might hear from me next week. I might get another week off just to recuperate and then come back the week after that. Uh, but filling in here, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, make sure you follow us on, on Twitter, all that fun stuff. But we're going to, and normally this is a time where like we do this thing where we do a little monologue and we, we you know, get clips from all over the place and we play them. You know, I just think the guest is too good to do that. So we're just going to bring in Chris Forsberg from MBC Sports Boston right away here. Chris, how you digging the new digs, buddy? You go from ESPN Boston, you land in NBC. How, how are things? Life good? Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. It's, uh, it's so funny to me that like ESPN is such a big company and, you know, but sometimes you, you, uh, I'd go out and I don't know. It's just like no one knew who I was. And now, uh, the power of NBC Sports Boston, like I, I, I always joke with people there, you know, there's got to be something better on to watch, but, um, you know, people watch and they like our shows and that's, that's pretty neat. And so, uh, to everyone who comes up and says hello, it, it makes my day. And, uh, my kids always get a kick out of it and they, they don't understand why people are interested in it, but they, uh, they think it's funny. I'll tell you what helps. And it's funny because it's like actually, I think, just like a Boston sports person thing. And maybe I think it's a younger Boston sports person thing. Like the hair game amongst a bunch of Boston, like between you, Jay King, obviously has been going through different stages of it, but has always had great hair. DJ Beans, another one of these guys has terrific hair. I mean, there's just so many of you. It's so distinct. Like you, you have your own little niche with whatever you got going on on top of your head there, buddy. Like, I think it's just because you're so presentable on camera. Like, even go – like, maybe it's maybe it's like a, a timeless thing because you go back to Shaughnessy. Like, Shaughnessy's always had – that curly red Ooh. hair has always been sort of his trademark. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just a, like a stigma of Boston sports guys. You just got to have the hair to be to hang with the crew. And that, I think it helps. But it, it definitely plays up on TV. Like, you definitely look like you belong on TV. And, it's, and, and I think you found a natural home, my friend. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm glad you're more behind the camera because, you, again, you, you're, you know, you, I think you have uh, a great enthusiasm for television that you don't always get in print media, man. Like, I would read your stuff on ESPN and, like, I, you know, you and I have talked before. I know your personality. I, I think you have a great personality. But you never, like, unless the Celtics made the Eastern Conference Finals, 
or the NBA Finals where you're doing like a minute hit, a minute 30 hit on SportsCenter. You never really saw you. Yeah, it's tough. Like, and listen, I, I get it. There's, there, we're covering a, a million different sports, and here you just, just have more time and more ability to, to really like. I, I used to get really nervous before Sports Center hits because you only got a minute, and you got maybe two questions, and you got to be good with it. And like here, you can just sort of ease yourself in. You know, you're gonna you get like a five minute block. You can be funny. You can like. So I don't know. It's a balance. Like they, you, you, you definitely want to to be informative and all that. But I, I appreciate that. It's uh, you know, I didn't know how this was gonna go or how I was gonna do with with more TV time. And, uh, you know, it's it, it just, I still get a kick out of it. And uh, if I ever lose my hair, I'm screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I, think you're good. I think you're good for now, my man. Um, in terms of like, because NBC Sports is, is, does a great job with content. And like, just level with me here, be honest with me. Are you more, like from a content standpoint, are you and your producers at NBC Sports Boston, are you guys more upset over the loss? And this is just a pure content thing. Oh, of Kyrie Irving or Gershon Yabusele? Because they're, they're, you can Ooh. make so much content out of both of those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Kyrie was great because everything he said was a story. And yet the, my hardest thing with Kyrie was that no matter – if you had a really good story to tell, you just couldn't get the one-on-one time or, you know, really kind of open that shell to, to find out more and make it a great story. Um, so that that was frustrating in some regards. and. Uh, I mean, I've got stories that I I didn't even I, that I'm like mad that I didn't get to the finish line on. There's one about like untucked Kyrie that might you know I don't know when or where or how, but maybe down the road that will will come back up. But we put a lot of work and effort into this fun piece about you know how Kyrie's better with his jersey untucked and all his teammates kind of believing in the in, in the legend. And uh, but I I never got Kyrie to talk about it, and it's just you know that that's the difficulty there and. Uh, but again, like he was mesmerizing to watch. I will miss that aspect of him. Um, I do think, you know, it's a balance between how much he got blamed for their struggles, uh, and what he deserved blame for. And, uh, so that, that was a balance. But yeah, Gershon, uh, given the amount of time we spend on, on weird Celtics Twitter and such, uh, that, that's a huge loss, uh, uh, quite literally. And, and like, so one of the things I love, like, cause I, it, people that don't know, like I wear a lot of hats. I also have, like, a radio show. I do a morning show Monday through Friday from 5 to 9 in the morning. And one of the things I love, like, you know you made it when people provide your content for you. Like, as an example, Old Takes Exposed has it made, right? He doesn't have to do it or he or she, whoever runs the account, doesn't have to do anything anymore. People just tag him or her in the thing, (laughs) and they just retweet it, and all of a sudden there's the content. Like, you don't have to do anything anymore. Weird Celtics Twitter like has been creating content for you guys for like two years here. Like it must be like the golden age of being a producer for you guys right now. And like now that you have now that I'll even throw this out there. World Celtics Twitter just went mainstream. We were on the jump, baby. Like we've gone big time at this point. Like life is good for weird Celtics Twitter right now. Yeah. Like I, I, I was sort of, uh, I was sort of jealous. Like the last summer I got to do the job and I've never, if I brought up weird Celtics Twitter, people would have kicked me off the show and, uh, this year, it's, uh, and there they are, showing all the memes and asking Marcus Smart about it. Uh, it's good. Like, listen, it, it, it's true. Uh, in a season that was uh, maddening for anyone who watched or anyone who was involved in any shape or form, uh, Weird Celtics Twitter provided a, a nice little relief. And uh, it, it's just so funny to see it go mainstream. I don't know. Like, uh, 
they might have to go back underground a little bit to, to get their street cred back up, but, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to stop posting. Yeah, no, there's no way. I know the Rips man is, like, thrilled about the development here because he's just, like, <laughs> the fact that he's posted Grant Williams and Robert Williams into existence, basically, for, for Danny to draft has been just unbelievable luck sent his way. Love the Rips man. He's one of my favorite dudes. Um, <laughs> last part of this just silliness here at the beginning in terms of creating content, where it's, like, all this stuff. Are you more excited then? for creating content like in terms of just a content creation are you more excited for taco fall or enos Cantor? because both those guys are Ooh. cool so I, I selfishly because and i'm fascinated by how much of how much interest there has been in taco uh really since summer league and you know uh I, it, it just mesmerizes me how popular he is i, I posted something the other day like if you go to Google and you do Celtics roster, the first player suggestion is Taco Fall. Now I know some of it's SEO related and that means that a lot of people are searching for him and all that, but you know, more people are now searching for Taco Fall than are searching for Kemba Walker. And I mean, that, that's mind numbing to me, uh, but he is fascinating. I was uh, on a golf course a couple weeks ago and we, we get to like the third key and the a guy who I wasn't very familiar with, like, kind of comes up next to me and goes, so, uh, hey, I, I hear you write about the Celtics. Uh, I got to ask you about something. I'm sort of bracing myself for a question about Kyrie. And he goes, this Taco Fall guy going to make the roster? And it just, it's just so universal. Like, everyone knows who Taco Fall is, and they're, they're rooting for him. And even though they just they don't know nothing more than he's seven foot seven, it's a, it's a high-interest story. Yeah, I, I, but, like, on the flip side of that, like, Enos Cantor just made, like, a two-minute-long, like, hype trailer <laughs> with DDP for some wrestling thing he's doing. And, like, like and, and like I, I as, a, as a producer here for CLNS, I help out Adam, but I also help, help out Jeff Goodman. And we interviewed Cantor, I think, when he was on the Knicks. And I got to tell you, the guy is, like, like you, like Kyrie's a great interview only because he's just going to say stuff. Like, Cantor... There's nothing off limits with him. Like you're gonna love him just from an interview standpoint. <laughs> nothing is off limits. He will give you quotes and everything. And as a like as an actual journalist, like trying to write stuff, he's gonna be so helpful for you guys. Like I, I and like you know the the 40 minutes we had with him, it, it, I, you know he had the pre you know interview stuff where you're like hey like what are you comfortable with like can we go here can we go here can we go here and literally everything because we wanted to talk about his relationship with this country. He's yeah he's right. like, everything everything is on the table. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you ask me. Like we're, I'm game, and you know, for, for for a journalist, and I know I know for Jeff, Jeff was like, you know, like, oh, this is gonna be great. It was awesome. And it was one of the best pods we've ever done. I mean, we've done some fun stuff. We had Jerry Ferrara from Entourage on. Um, we've had Pat Connaughton on. We've had uh, T.J. McConnell on. We've had, and, but I think Enos Canner out of everybody has been like my favorite one, just because of how candid he is and how unafraid of just uh, being. You know, interviewed by anybody, and, and like as you know, a content creator, quote unquote, it's going to be gold for you guys. Trust me, you're going to love, love having Enos Canner. Um, I do. I, mean, can't, I, I, I do want to say, as a as a wrestling nut, yeah, uh, I am excited for his all the. I mean, like, just, I've been more fascinated like by his his videos, trying to pick out his outfit for for his WWE appearance and all that, and working with Diamond Dallas Page 
uh, that alone might get me through a season. Yeah, I mean, I need more videos with him and DDP for sure. I mean, like, you go back to, the, like, my heyday, like, uh, my heydays of wrestling, you know, DDP was right up there with, like, Sting as, like, two of my favorite guys of wow. WCW. And then on the other, the flip side, like, WWF, like, Shawn Michaels is always my guy. Steve Austin, obviously, yeah. was everybody's. Like, The Rock. I remember when The Rock was, like, uh, like Rocky Johnson, I don't even think he was the Rock at one point. He was not. He was like he had two names. Rocky and, Rocky Maivia. That's it. There we go. There we go. He was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember, he had like the like the he, he had he had like no street cred at all. And then all of a sudden he became the Rock, yeah. and all of a sudden he was the coolest guy on the planet. And he went heel like sixteen times, and then came back and was the coolest guy. Um, Kurt Angle, like just absolute classic battles with the Rock and Kurt Angle when Triple H was actually Hunter Hearst Helmsley before he was Triple H, like. And I, like when the Undertaker wore purple gloves and wasn't driving a motorcycle down the ramp, like I'm, I'm back. I go back a little bit, not totally all the way back, but um, like Psycho oh, Sid was one back. of my favorites. Like Vader, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm like early '90s, mid '90s wrestling for sure. And having if, DDP. If you want to just, if you want to just ditch this Celtic yeah, talk and do should. like an hour on, yeah. on, on like late '80s, early '90s uh, WWF, I'm like I'm in the Monday yeah. Night Wars. Like I, I can go all day. That theme song from Monday Night Raw used to be like just the what would get me going. Like I would get so jacked up. I used to go to um, like some 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 like I used to, I've been to Raw a couple times. Been to SmackDown a couple times. I went to No Mercy one time because we have this, the the Times Union Center over here. Uh, you know, I live in the Berkshires, but we live uh, over in Albany. It's just to hop over the mountain and you go and, and watch some wrestling live. It was awesome. But uh, I to spare everybody from the wrestling conversation. We should move on <laughs> to more serious stuff. And look, just to, just to point this out, like, folks, this is the deadest time of dead times for the NBA calendar. Like, this is brutal. And right now, can't even use football to get us through because we're in football training camp. So just bear with me here. But there's actual stuff to talk about because Marcus Smart went on the jump the other day with Rachel Nichols and with uh, Kevin Arnovitz and with Dave McMenamin and, and had – a, a great segment, and he ended up, you know, saying some things. And I thought it was interesting to me, Chris, that Marcus Smart's the guy that ends up on this show because I've said it for a while about Marcus. I, I think his voice and has been this way. I think maybe not since he was drafted, but very shortly after. I think his voice actually carries a lot in that locker room. And right now, you look at the roster; he's the elder statesman of the everybody in that locker room. He's been on the team the longest. It reminds me of like Avery Bradley being the guy that's been on the team the longest. I gotta think here, just in this performance kinda like highlights this maybe a little bit more, and maybe I'm the only person thinking this, but you gotta think that he has probably the biggest leadership role on the team right now, or has one of the biggest. Am I wrong about that? No, no. What's always fascinating to me is that he's still only 25. Like we've been doing the, uh, NBC Sports Boston does these 20, 20 under 25 or 25 under 25, and it feels like he's been on the list for eight years. And I think he's got a chance to make it like one more year this year. And I don't know when his birthday is, maybe maybe October or November. Uh, and uh, it's fascinating. He's just, he's still very young, but yet uh, clearly commands respect based on the way he plays with the passion that he plays with. And I can absolutely see him being sort of the leader, uh, at least maybe the vocal leader of this team this year. Certainly Kemba comes in and, and as the superstar has, uh, sort of that leadership pull, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how his style meshes and, and sort of we'll sit here and overanalyze how he leads versus how Kyrie led. But I think both, you know, really everyone that's that's been here, that part of this core, I think from Marcus to uh, even Jason Tatum said the other day, he wants to be more vocal 
of a leader. I think all those guys, based on having been here, based on the success they had in 2018, I think they'll all have a, a little play in it. But certainly when Marcus sort of stands up and says it, 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 it carries extra weight. I think back to last year, they had that bad road trip out west. He's the guy that stands up in the locker room in Portland, sort of challenges everybody. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to call out guys and sort of like tell people that, you know, you're not playing the right way or, you know, this isn't going right. And so uh, I think that's going to be quite important to this year's team. And uh, I do think Marcus goes about it the right way too. You know, I don't think he ever, he'll, he'll tell the team is playing bad. I don't, I can't ever remember him saying it's, it's player X, Y, Z, or it's the young guys or this guy, you know, uh, he, he, he leads uh, the way you want to. Yeah, and he never. Yeah, you're right. He never like even on that segment of the jump. He always mentions like, yeah, Kyrie screwed up and or Kyrie didn't play as well as he wanted to. But like, let's be honest, there are four other guys on the floor plus the head coach. Like none of us did. We want to do like when there's times to you could signal somebody. You could just pull somebody out. And be like this guy stinks. But he never did that. He never fell for that. And he he was he's always a guy that kind of like holds himself accountable to everybody else. Which I really like, and he mentioned that like in the in the interview, I mean, he wrote this out as a quote, like guys calling guys out was a quote of his of guys calling each other out in the locker room, and it's interesting. Like for those of you that don't have never covered a game or, or understand or listen to somebody that's, that covers a game, there's two times you have with the team in the locker room, quote unquote, right? There's pregame where you know guys are getting ready, they're you know stretching, they're eating. Um, they come in, they get undressed and all that stuff. And if they want to talk with you, like, they will talk with you. But otherwise, like, they're not – that's not what this is for. Like, unless, you know, you've talked to Jeff and worked something out where you're talking to somebody pregame to get a couple of quotes for a story, like, that's fine. But normally guys aren't talking to you pregame. It's usually postgame, and it's usually, like, a select group of guys. It's not everybody. It's, like, two or three guys after the game, maybe even just one guy after the game who's – Given like you, you can actually interview. You don't have the ability to talk to everybody, but you're in the locker room every single day. You're you're talking to guys throughout the entire season. And it, did ever get a point in the locker room, at least that you noticed, where things get a little tense. Guys might be not directly calling people out, but like maybe you know the the chemistry is a little bit off, and there's you know maybe tensions a little bit tight in the locker room. Did it ever get to that point? Inside, because like we're again, we're, we're we're months removed now, but we're still searching for answers. I feel like Chris. Yeah, I think I, I go back and, and and especially the in this quiet time, I've been sort of searching for you know should we have known earlier that you know Kyrie was growing disenchanted, and should we have seen the cracks before? Like, certainly by February, you know it wasn't even necessarily in the locker room. I think back to the shoot around in New York where he said the whole "ask me July first thing and. You know, it, there was tension there, but like Marcus Morris, he said in March that they weren't having fun. Kyrie sort of hinted at the same thing in, in, as early as November. I, and I think that really was just a product of there were such high expectations that when these guys fell so woefully short at the start of the year, they got so frustrated, they never quite got out of their own heads. And so I do believe Marcus, when he says that, you know, in general, like they liked each other, that they hung out together, that. Uh, there wasn't like that the, the, the locker room dissension that they walk in there and it's like, oh, I hate these guys. They just hated the way they played together and they could never get past their own individual agendas to figure that out, or at least not long stretches of it. I mean, heck, in the playoffs, they won four and five in a row and then, you know, it all came unraveled. So, uh, you know, you could see guys had their moments. I mean, Shemi Ojale went off at one point and, you know, like, he's the last guy you would expect to be boiling, but, like, there was a point in the year where he sat there and unloaded on this roster, 
and now think about that. That's like the 12th man on the roster. He's just working his butt off trying to get out there. But even he's sitting there going, we got all this talent. I can't even get on the floor. And these guys can't figure it out. And to me, that just sort of summed up everything with this team. There was so much talent, so much potential. They never came close to maximizing it. And each guy had their individual frustrations at some point. And I, I don't know, it just, it just sort of hovered over that team the whole year uh, where it was always like that locker room just, again, I, I didn't walk in there and go, oh, these guys are mad at each other. They hate each other. But it was like these guys are just so frustrated that they can't figure it out. And there's a lot of finger pointing, and they never quite went around about it the right way. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the last guy you want to piss off is Chevy Ojale just because, like, that guy's ginormous <laughs> and, and has the body of, of somebody. That's, he's, like, what, 23, 24, and he has a body of, like, a 29-year-old. Like, that's just, you know, that that's the last guy I want to make mad. Because, like, there was the running joke of him, like, throwing the medicine ball into the wall, and you could, oh, like, yeah. feel the vibrations throughout the TD Garden when he would work out. Like, it's just, I think it's the last guy I want to make mad. Quick break. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. NBA season's over. We all know this. We're the deadest of dead times in the NBA. But it does not mean you cannot make money on basketball right now. You can already bet on who's going to win the 2020 title. Look at the odds right now. Clippers plus 350. Get Kawhi, get Paul George. You get the top billing for sure. Lakers plus 400. Bucks plus 500. Rockets plus 800. Philly plus 900. If you keep looking, though, you'll find the Celtics eventually at a plus 1600. That's not the best bet. You know, I think plus 1600, you know, the odds of you hitting that are, are astronomical. But Celtics odds win the division plus 300. Not the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life, right? I think that's a safe bet. You can also make custom player bets during games. Like, who lets you do that? You can just pick a player and a stat and bet online. .ag will give you a line for it. And then you can, you know, there's player props as well. Zion Williams' points are set at 18 and a half over under that. Plus, NFL season is coming, folks. Super Bowl odds are out. The Patriots plus 600. Um, look, I think they have defense to make, to keep their offense in games. Brady is a really smart quarterback. They have a really smart offensive coordinator. Makes a lot of sense to me. Um, whether it's to you or not, I don't know, but I love the pages at plus 600. Maybe you do too. Regardless, just make sure you go to clsmedia.com slash Celticspeed to get a 50% bonus. It's 5-0 on your deposit of at least $25 more when you sign up and use the promo code CLNS50. Whatever you do, make sure you use betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celtics beat that promo code CLNS50. Please see Bet Online's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. Back to Chris. You mentioned a little bit, and you did some deep dive on this, and kudos to you because, like, I don't know if people understand how hard it is. Not hard it is, but, like, how monotonous it is and how, like, unbearably boring this is to go back and, like, transcribe quotes. Like, folks, if you want to understand how hard this is and how, and how frustrating it can be, like, just go, just, like, go put on a two-minute song and play it and just keep, like, write down the lyrics to it, right? This is what You went back, like, you went back out the entire season from the, the beginning of the season up to, like, December where there was that Dinwiddie, like, oh, yeah, Kyrie reached out to me, and you went through all of Kyrie's quotes. You did this. I don't know what made you want to do this and what put, what you want to put yourself through this type of torture, but you did this. So I looked through all of them. What did you come to, like, what sort of conclusion did you come to going through all these quotes so the impetus was that i was 
right when Dinwiddie said, you know, and I think it was on the athletic podcast that Kyrie had reached out to him and sort of inquired about what it was like to play in Brooklyn. And then he sort of alluded that it was before Dinwiddie signed his extension with the Nets. So, you know, first off, that was December 13th, I believe. And so I'm sitting there like doing the math in my head. And I'm thinking, all right, so October 4th, Kyrie comes out in front of season ticket holders and says, you know, if you'll have me back, I plan to resign here. He spends the next couple of weeks kind of basking in the afterglow and, and talking up Boston. And he films that Nike commercial that debuts in late November. And yet by December, like early December, he's now got a wandering eye and, and, and wants to, to see what else is out there. And so I just kind of went back in, in my, in my notebook and now you just talked me up and made me sound really good, but uh, luckily, you know, I think a lot of us do this where we stash, you know, every quote from games and we're kind of, it's kind of easy to go back. And I just kind of went, tried to find every quote I had from Kyrie in that stretch. And I, you know, I thought it was fascinating just sort of as I was reading through, because I was curious if anything would jump out. I think what stood out to me most was that really through much of October, like he was really positive. And, and so certainly they didn't play well. And by November he was frustrated especially when you think about they were 9-9 nine and nine and 10-10, ten and ten, I think, and they had some bad losses in there, like to the Magic and the Knicks. And you could tell that he was getting frustrated, and there was a couple instances where he pointed the finger at the young guys. And so you could definitely see the cracks. But then they also ripped off this, like, pretty good winning streak after starting 10-10, ten and ten, and it felt like, you know, things were getting better. And so my big takeaways were it was obvious, like, Early on, he was frustrated, and maybe that started to give him the, the freedom to start looking around and wondering what else was out there and, and whether he made the right decision to sort of uh, say that he'd be back in Boston. And that, too, he really did ride the emotional roller coaster. Uh, like, he was really positive when they played well. He was really negative when they didn't. And I just got the sense that, um, you know, that's why the Celtics probably never gave up hope that he would be back because they just so probably felt like if they ever put it together, if they ever went on a playoff run, then they had a very good chance to bring him back or if they made the right moves. And so I, I can understand why, you know, people keep saying to me, well, if you're so disenchanted, why didn't they just move him by February? I don't think it was that easy. Like, you know, they just sort of held out hope that they would always figure it out. And that was from top to bottom. Like that's why you don't move Terry Rozier at the deadline. Cause you just think uh, eventually you're going to, you're going to make this thing work. And uh, ultimately they never did, but uh, it was just, I, I just thought it was fascinating. I just, I still can't imagine that, you know, if you go back and you, and you did this season over a hundred times, I wonder how many times the Celtics start 15 and five instead of 10 and 10. And I wonder if how different it all plays out if that happens, like guys don't get frustrated and guys play freer and, you know, does Gordon Hayward figure it out quicker? Does Kyrie enjoy his time more? And is he more engaged uh, I don't know. It's just it'd be fascinating to know in an alternate world if uh, how this all would have played out if they didn't have that just awful start. Well, I don't be I don't even be this guy, but like I'm gonna bring this up it, in two different instances. One, like how different is the season look if they start 15 and five? That's a great question. How much different does the season look? And that start look if Kyrie's in shape? Like one of the big things 
that I remember from the beginning part of the season and watching Kyrie. It looked like he was in shape. It didn't. He had the long hair with the headband. He looked he'd been like hanging out on a beach somewhere or hanging out in the woods somewhere. And he came back and he wasn't really the guy that I think we all expected to come back right from the like I know he had the surgery and he hadn't played for a while and he had some stuff to go through and I, I get that. But when you have the surgery he had and look, we we had the most comprehensive stuff you could have on Kyrie's surgery. We had uh, Dr. P from, um, I think I think he works for either DraftKings now, as, as in addition to working with Duke University, uh, Dr. Celine Parekh, where we had him on explain, like, all the things that could be going wrong with Kyrie's knee. We mentioned it. We detailed it. He's like, yeah, he's going to need stuff in the offseason. He's got that scoped out, blah, 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 whatever. But, you know, he eventually will come back and should be fine. It's not like something he has to, we have to be totally concerned about. Uh, and you look at the start that Kyrie got off to, he had seven points in the first game that they played. He was 2 of 14 from the field, 1 of 8 from three-point range. Against Toronto the next game, 10 for 20. Then he was 5 for 16. He was 6 of 13 in game 5 against Oklahoma City. He took five shots against Detroit. He wasn't in shape for the first month-plus of that season. You get into November, then he starts to play himself into shape. So some of that has to be on Kyrie. And the flip side... The end of the season. Well, let's, let's also be honest here. Kyrie, like, whether he quit or not, he did not play well against Milwaukee. Like, he just played terribly. Four of 18, 18 of 22, 7 of 22, 6 of 21. Those are his numbers from the four losses. And he says he has to shoot more, he has to take more shots. Like, he was a huge. Like, I'm not trying to, to dump on Kyrie as much because we've all taken turns doing that. But at some point. <laughs> The why of, like, what happened here? Like, why did you sour on this team that had just gone to an Eastern Conference Finals the year before that without you, with young guys? Why did you sour on Danny Ainge? Why did you sour on Brad Stevens, who everybody seems to love playing for? Like, there has to be a why, Chris, and we haven't heard that yet because Kyrie, as of this taping, still hasn't done his press conference in Brooklyn. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, well, well, first off, I don't think he's going to do a press conference until the start of the season or start of training camp. So uh, I think we're just going to end up waiting. Uh, are you going to that, by the way? Are, are you going to that? Are you going to go to that? Somebody from your station's going to go to that, right? Oh, for sure. Me and Sherrod will be down there, so I'm certain of it. It'll be a big deal. Um, you know, I think back to when he first came here, though, and, you know, Jeff Goodman, as you were mentioning, kind of peppered him a little bit about uh, about why he wanted out of Cleveland. And I remember he was very – you know, standoffish about that and didn't get off to a, to a great start uh, in that regards. And yet, you know, invariably he's going to have to discuss it. And, you know, he's the type, the type that doesn't really want to go down that road, but he's going to have to. And maybe we'll get some, some hints then. But, yeah, until then we're left to, 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 to sort of ponder it all. Like, I mean, you mentioned the knee surgery. Uh, let's remember, Ev, he was still recovering from the, the nose surgery that kept him off the, the sideline for Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2018 when he uh, didn't accompany his team to, 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 to watch that game. Uh, like, it, 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 a lot of fascinating things. It's just, it, it's a unique, you know, they, a lot of people let him off the hook for that too, like, you know, but it, it, from all accounts, it was because he had the, the, the it felt like it because he had the, the, the media tour for Uncle Drew coming up, and I listen, I know these things are scheduled in advance and maybe the Celtics honestly didn't think that he would, uh, that they would be playing until game seven of the Eastern conference finals. And yet I just feel like they probably could have moved that if they wanted to. Uh, so, uh, Kyrie's just an interesting dude. And 
Uh, I will say, like, the Celtics have really taken the high road in the aftermath here. And from Wick Grosbeck uh, on the radio saying all polite things about Kyrie and how they were texting each other recently. Uh, and Danny really, you know, thanking Kyrie for his time here. And, but sort of admitting that he knew that uh, by March that he was gone. And, you know, it's just a fascinating uh, tale. And, uh, you know, maybe we get more answers. Maybe it really is just as simple as uh, he was frustrated and it was time to move on. But you're right. Like, I remember Tommy Heinsohn sort of saying on air that Kyrie looked five pounds too heavy. And certainly that contributed to the, to the slow start. And then Kyrie found motivation in it. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's just so funny how that whole season played out and, and all the little stuff that bubbled up. Yeah, I remember, like, yeah, this is my, you know, in a, again, in a world for a, full of hot takes right now. One of my favorites was Nick Wright of, you know, everybody's favorite hot take artist right now on Fox Sports 1 talking about how, like, how Dan, like Danny and Wick, I think it was primarily Danny, during the press conference for Kemba, like, took the high road when people would mention Kyrie's name. He's like, look, we're excited that Kemba's here. Da, 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 da. You know, we're, you know, you know, Kyrie had his time here. It's unfortunate it didn't work out, but we're happy that Kemba's here, blah, blah, blah. And Nick Wright did this thing where, like, I don't even know how he made this connection, but he did this thing where he was like, well, you know, that's just that, that, that puts more blame on Danny and Brad because, you know, they won't publicly slam Kyrie at this press conference. And I'm like, why in the world would they slam Kyrie at this conference when they're here to introduce the new guys? Like, it, it would, it would be, it looked foolish if, if they're like, yeah, we're, you know, yeah, Kyrie's, you know, problem with this and this, this and that when like the new guy, like, it's like complaining about an ex girlfriend. You know, and, and her problems when you when you're introducing your new girlfriend to your buddies, right? Like that would be the equivalent here. How would she feel? Probably terrible. Like, you don't want to ruin this friendship with Kyrie already, uh, with a Kemba already. This is brand new, and Kemba, from all reports, is like. And, and again, we got to. Back, I was in college. Got to do a little bit with with Kemba Walker, and and you know, being around the Big East at that time. Nobody, and I can tell you, literally nobody has any bad words to say about Kemba Walker in any of his stops uh, anywhere in college or anywhere in the pros. Um, it, a whole different animal here. But with Kyrie, it's like, why would they publicly trash Kyrie at this press conference introducing Ennis Canner and Kemba Walker, his replacement? It just It just felt out of, like, out of whack, and it felt like the hottest take I've seen in a long time in a really weird place. And, again, it symbols to me that we, again, are here in the deadest time of the offseason. And, like, the whole LeBron is a bad dad thing, like, that's where we're at now. We are at this <laughs> juncture of the offseason where we're debating whether LeBron is a good dad or not, and it's absolutely driving me insane at this point, Chris. But to get to get back to Danny a little bit, because they mentioned, like, yeah, we knew about around March that Kyrie was probably not coming back, and that's a shame because the, the trade line is in February. Um was there any sort of like did you did you feel personally like I'm not talking about you know what people wrote and read about but did you ever feel personally like in February that you know if Kyrie's gone it might be, might behoove Danny to move Kyrie right now to get something for him or do you think Danny was like you know what screw this uh, we have Kyrie I'd rather have Kyrie here as a guy that could maybe take us to the next level maybe in the playoffs and then leave afterwards. I mean, I, I don't I, I like I know Danny is kind of a shrewd guy. I mean, we saw that with Isaiah and that trade. But like at some point, if Danny knew this wasn't going to happen, we'd start to look at him as as a GM that maybe doesn't take as many risks as he should. I mean, I'm just I'm trying to figure out what Danny's mindset is here. Yeah, no, I, I think again, like the, the exercise of going back taught me that Kyrie rode the emotional roller coaster as much as anybody, and I feel like 
you know, maybe the Celtics as a whole did too. Like they go on that winning streaks and everyone starts saying, okay, he's happy. We can, we, you know, we can, we can convince him to stay and then things go south and they're like, oh man, he's probably going to leave. And so I do think that ultimately, you know, the plan A and, and Danny was like, you know, Danny chose his words carefully here for the plan A after the draft. And, you know, once they knew they were going to have cap space was Kemba and, and NS Cantor, but, you know, plan A for most of last season was get to the off season, re-sign Kyrie, go get Anthony Davis and figure it out from there. Uh, and so I think they, even amid all the strife of last season, they sort of in the back of the mind sort of said, like a lot of this will be alleviated because the roster is going to turn over. You bring in Anthony Davis, all of a sudden you've got your own little super duo and or super team really with, with, with the pieces that they would have still had. And I think they were just confident that that would have changed a lot of what ailed last year's team. And, and again, they like, they just thought eventually it would click. And I, I'm sure they were sitting there through that Pacers series and through game one of the, of the Bucks thinking the same thing, like, all right, maybe they finally found it. And, you know, they did it and they, they were what they were by the end. Uh, but uh, I don't, I don't begrudge Danny. Like, I, you know, I can't sit here and as armchair general manager and say he should have been more aggressive. I don't know what you even get for Kyrie Irving at the trade deadline. I, you know, I think it would have, uh, it would have been hard for them to pull the trigger on that. And again, I don't think they were motivated to do it at that point. I think they were really convinced that this team would figure it out uh, and that the playoffs would bring out the best in them. And, you know, for a small, uh, for a small stretch, it did, but uh, no, I I don't think Danny should catch much, much grief for that. Well, you have another opportunity here with Danny in an interesting contest situation this upcoming season with Jalen Brown. And we all kind of know this is coming um, and we're all sitting here waiting for the quote-unquote leap that he might make uh, this year as he heads towards the restricted free agency. But to, to, to dial it back a minute, I remember I got a lot of flack on Twitter from people that aren't Celtics fans, but I value their opinions because, you know, it's it's hard sometimes with the green color glasses on to to maybe make a, you know, a, a totally logical uh, decision. Because, again, I love Jalen Brown. It was the only draft I got to cover – uh, was that draft uh, with Jalen Brown in it, and I got to ask Jalen a question, and he answered my question, which was, like, for me as a young reporter, like, the coolest thing ever. Um, but, like, I love Jalen Brown. I'm a big fan of his. And when the reports came out that San Antonio would have traded Kawhi to Boston for Jalen Brown, a lot of people that aren't Celtics fans that don't watch Jalen Brown every day are like, why didn't the Seas do this? Are you one of those people, Chris? You know, I, I, and the first thing is, like, I've heard different things about whether, like, I don't even know how far, if, if there was conversations. Um, it, to me, it doesn't sound like it was just, I, I think San Antonio wanted an established player in return. And I, I don't know, it just doesn't add up to me that, that Jalen plus whatever pick they would have thrown in, whether that's the Sacramento pick or something lesser. Um, you know, certainly hindsight is twenty twenty, And I think more so because of the, the Sacramento pick plummeting in value based on the way the Kings played. Uh, you know, people are frustrated that they didn't weren't more aggressive in that pursuit. I just don't get the sense that they, it ever got to a stage where it was something like anyone would have considered or or, or whatnot. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe 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 the, the, there was more smoke there, and uh, the Celtics had a chance. But I think what people forget is, you know, everyone was sitting there at that moment saying, you know, why is Kawhi want out of San Antonio? Like, no one wants out of San Antonio. Why is why did it go wrong? And you know, he just came off a season in which he played, what, nine games, and everyone was like, is he going to be healthy? Certainly, again, with hindsight, you sit there and say, well, geez, he was one of the best players in the NBA. He was an absolute assassin in, 
in the playoffs and ultimately brought his team a championship. And you're, 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 you're frustrated that you didn't push harder to get that player. I just think it, it's easy to sit back now and, uh, and, and wonder if they should have been more aggressive. But what I do think it tells you, and I've sort of maintained this in the aftermath, is that, you know, I do think, you know, Danny and, and probably 28 other general managers sit there now and say, you know, the league's changing and windows are shorter and the ability to go get impact players is more difficult. Uh, when you have the opportunity, you have to be ultra aggressive. And so, you know, if that situation, re, you know, happened again right now, do I think the Celtics might be a little bit more aggressive? Would they maybe be willing to, 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 to push maybe take on a little bit more risk? I think absolutely. I think, you know, uh, you still balance it all and you're still careful about, you know, overcommitting what, what you have. But, you know, let's remember, too, they're just coming off that 2018 run and they felt pretty good about what adding Kyrie and Gordon was going to do. It didn't work out, but uh, I, don't, I, I don't, that's another instance where I don't fault them. I do fault them a little bit for not making a move at the deadline this past year. It did, like, by that point, it was clear that, there, that it, they just, the mix wasn't working, that there were just too many guys. And I understand, like, because of the Anthony Davis pursuit, their hands were a little bit tied, like, in terms of you didn't want to sacrifice assets. But I just feel like maybe there was a, a little move they could have done. And, you know, I, listen, I don't know if that would have changed the path at all. Uh, but, but yeah, that, that's the only part in the last probably 18 months that I sit there and go, they missed an opportunity, like, you know, they, that maybe they could have tried something. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say to the the, the people with because I agree with a lot of you said about the you know not trading Jalen for Kawhi thing because again you don't you don't even know what you're getting like you, we none of us knew I mean it's easy again it's easier to sit here and say after you won an NBA title like yeah you know Kawhi was great like but nobody knew at the time there was no and like Uncle Dennis controls everything in terms of information going out anyway and you have no idea his health status he hadn't played in forever. Uh, he didn't know, and it's not like he's totally healthy either. Like, in the NBA Finals, he looked hurt. Like, in the playoffs, he looked hurt. Now, like, he's so good that it doesn't even matter. He can play on one leg and still win an NBA title, though he needs help from Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry and Marcus Saw a little bit and Serge Ibaka going on for a while. Like, he needs help. OG, uh, OG, it'll be about um, Pascal Siakam, another one of those guys he needs help from. But, like, you know, it's easy to say that now. And I also will throw this out there. Like, you don't draft – in the top three, like two years, three years in a row, and hope to get a small window out of an opportunity. Like, if you get Kawhi and he comes in and you win a title and he bolts, like, cool, if you're Toronto and has never won a title before. Right. But if you're Boston and you leveraged your, you know, your veterans to get these draft picks down the road that panned out, and you got two top three draft picks in a row – with Jalen and Jason, like your idea here is I'm not contending for one time. I'm trying to contend for multiple years. Like in, in the way things look to give to back up you up, like they went to the Eastern conference finals and were a really terrible shooting, you know, half away from taking down LeBron and going to the NBA finals and probably getting their ass kicked against golden state. But with two young guys and Al Horford being the linchpins for everything, and you 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 want to like disrupt that and disturb that and get Kawhi for a year and have him bolt somewhere else like that's not what it's about now maybe with Kyrie in the fold and maybe you know Kyrie and Kawhi and Al they figure it out and they stay but the other flip side of that is you get one title Kyrie bolts Kawhi bolts Al bolts and now you have literally nothing you have Jason Tatum and nothing so 
as and I get the people that are like, yeah, well, an NBA title is what you want, but yeah, if you're you know the Toronto Raptors and you've never won a title before, or if you're the LA Clippers and you've been irrelevant for your entire existence, yes. But when you're the Lakers or the Celtics and some of the teams and the Spurs that have been you know some of these and Spurs recently, you know these perennial teams have been you know uh, dynamic forces in the league for so long. Like you don't want one year, you want several. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tim is still the best way to do that. And with that being said. This whole Jalen Brown extension is going to be really interesting because there aren't a lot of free agents coming up this offseason. There just aren't. And he's going to be one of the top ones if he takes a little bit of a leap here. And what happens down the road here is going to be interesting. Now, I'll say this. I think what happened this past offseason with all these sign-in trades make it easier for Dana to kick their can down the road a little bit further. Like, in the past where you'd have to trade one of these restricted free agents if you if you had no plans on re-signing them, you'd have to trade them in, in February. Now, with all the – because everybody was doing sign-in trades. With the addition of all these sign-in trades now, you can kick that can down the road till the end of the season to figure out what you want to do, look at his market and say, yes, we want to do this, or no, we don't want to do this. In terms of Jalen Brown, what would you need to see, Chris, to say, yes, this is the guy we want to invest some money in? Yeah, I guess it comes down to the number two, right? Like, if you're talking, what do I need to see to give him max money? Like, you know, you need to see a real pronounced leap and a, a guy who is ready to be, you know, one of your top two, three guys. And, you know, I don't rule out that Jalen has that in him based on the way he's performed in the postseason the last two years. Uh, and yet, you know, there's clearly uh, this year uh, in terms of, of consistency and, uh, you know, what he can do. But, you know, at a, at a lower number, um, I, I, you know, I, I, like I really like the player. And I, I think that's – I understand why he's probably not interested in an extension right now because he's not going to get anywhere near the money that he believes he can earn. And if he goes out there and has a really good year and with this, with this rotation giving more freedom now to, to probably the younger guys, you know, there's a real opportunity here for him to assert himself. And I, I get it from the Celtics' perspective as well, like – they got to be careful. You can't overcommit your money. Um, you know, part of it too is you got to start looking towards that 2021 summer where we're going to go through this again, and there's going to be tons of hot main free agents out there. Maybe Giannis, maybe Kawhi again. Like, you know, you got to stay in that game. And I think that was part of their hesitation with going long term with Al Horford because you just had to maintain that flexibility uh, and and be in the game when 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 the opportunity arose. So. Uh, I think it's good for both sides, though, because, you know, the Celtics will still have the right of first refusal and they can bring him back. It might cost them a little bit more, but if you have to pay a little bit more because Jalen Brown goes out and has a really good year this year, not the worst problem to have. And uh, certainly with Tatum coming due soon after, you know, it's a balance and you don't want to uh, you don't want to overpay to, to keep your young core intact. But that being said, if they show that, these are the guys you can build around. And if they show they mesh well with Kemba and Gordon and the other players that are sort of part of your core right now, then it's a little bit easier to spend that money. So I'd be very surprised if anything got done before opening night. Uh, it just seems highly unlikely to me for both sides. And the Celtics just haven't really been, you know, the type of team to go overspend to, to keep guys. They're always pretty fair, I think, with what they offer guys. And, you know, in the instances of like Marcus Smart, you know, you saw that, you know, he bet on himself and then got to restricted free agency. And, like, they sort of gave him just a little bit more than what they had offered the summer before. So, 
Uh, it's on Jalen to prove his value, and uh, I think that's good for the Celtics to have, for him to have that motivation. And, like, the last thing I'll say here in terms of, like, Jalen Brown stuff, you know, you're seeing a little bit, like, some of these young guys, like, we, they just came out the, the piece, I think, I think it was on ESPN that just came out about how Jason Tatum might have had a little bit of influence in Kemba Walker coming to Boston because they went to Paris together with Jordan Brand, and, they, and Kemba could pick Tatum's brain about a couple of things. It's It's – actually really awesome that some of the young guys might have a little bit of influence here like Tatum obviously with his Jordan brand connections is great but like we all kind of forget that like, Jalen Brown is kind of you know involved with the players union a little bit and is going to be like the president of the players union someday I think at some, some whether it's president vice president treasurer or whatever the hell he needs to be some sort of leadership <laughs> involvement with with the players union I think that's a, a huge positive thing that they have two young guys you know young 20s who are trying to get involved in multiple layers of being an NBA player, whether it's, you know, enhancing the brand via, you know, shoe deals and traveling to here and here and here for, you know, this sort of endorsement and this sort of thing that they have to do for joy. Or if you're Jalen Brown, like, you know, going on behalf of your fellow peers to, you know, the next CBA to help bargain things. Like, I think it's important. I think this it's often forgotten about when, with Jalen that he is a guy that at a young age was like, this I think it's a lot to do with, the people he keeps around him, like we all heard when he was drafted at Isaiah Thomas, the older Isaiah Thomas, Detroit Pistons Isaiah Thomas, was one of his advisors in helping him along. He didn't have an agent and all this stuff. Like, I think it's important to keep in mind with him that, yeah, is he is he going to be a recruiter? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see with Team USC and see how this works out with, you know, the Celtics basically dominating Team USA at this point. And even <laughs> guys like Landry Shamit aren't going aren't gonna to be there. Um, but, like, having young guys that can make somewhat of an impact – at a big stage, whether it's with Team USA or all these other things, like I think it's valuable to Boston, who's looking to obviously down the road maybe bring guys and attract guys to a market that quote unquote can attract star free agents, right? Right, and and so you know I think Kemba alluded to it uh, in the aftermath of his of his press conference where he said that he he sort of not only with with Tatum and Paris for for the Jordan brand, but he had, I think he was overseas with with Jalen Brown the previous year. And they had both left an impression on him. And I get it. Like, we sit here watching Kyrie and Al walk away, and naturally we say, you know, why, did, why don't they want to play with this young core? Does, is, is that a reflection of what Al thought the potential of the Celtics was and their future? And I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors that play for both of those guys. And so I do feel like those guys have some pull around the league. And it's interesting to hear a guy like Kemba say that that, you know, that, that he trusted their, their, you know, sort of their advice and, you know, what, what they have building here in Boston. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, when Kyrie first got here, you know, again, I'm going back to that article, you know, when, when we asked him, you're staying, you know, it's part of the reason you want to stay because of the young core here. And he said that was like a huge factor. And so, you know, listen, we know how it all played out and all the young guy talk and all that during the year, but, you know, I think players do look at Boston and say, there's some intriguing young talent here. And like I throw Marcus again, Marcus Smart's only 25. Like they've got guys that can grow and develop here uh, as we'll see at team USA with, with three of those four guys. And, and, and then you throw Kemba in there. So uh, I just feel like that's a really nice thing for the Celtics to be able to say, Hey, look, you know, we're competitive. The, the more pieces we add, the, the better we can be. And that resonates with with star players in this league. So Team Shamrock's got to get their recruiting business cards out while they're while they're out there in Vegas next yeah. week. Ditto. Last question here. 
uh, and this is like sort of sort of breaking news. Record this on Friday. Full disclosure: some news happened today. Selfishly, Chris, how angry are you that we're not getting Nets Celtics on Christmas Day and we're getting Celtics Raptors instead? Because I'm 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 like super upset about it because the ratings to that would have killed. They would have <laughs> killed. It would have been amazing. Yeah, like I mean, selfishly, I'm happy we get potential Kyrie visit, you know, if he comes on the night before Thanksgiving, so we don't have to wait quite as long as, as to Christmas you think we'll get, get another, that matchup. You think we'll get another F Thanksgiving quote from him? Because that would be that'd be another incredible time. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's going to, you know, he'll have some statement uh, after that game for sure. Uh, it, again, if, if he comes, the Celtics played Cleveland, uh, felt like a bunch, uh, not only in the regular season, but in the preseason. I think Kyrie made one trip that opening night and uh, the night Gordon Hayward got hurt. So, uh, you know, will he want to come here and face the Boston media and answer those questions again? Uh, my guess is on a marquee game, he'll want to, but, uh, you know, maybe the first time and then maybe <laughs> we won't see him again. Uh, but I am disappointed for Christmas. I just thought that was really the, uh, uh, the, an obvious matchup for the league. I thought it would have been neat to see Kyrie come to Boston on the big stage. You know, even if it was that first game of the day, uh, it would have really set the tone for, for the Christmas slate. And, like, no disrespect to Toronto, but uh, without Kawhi Leonard, and I know they're the world champs, and that probably helps get them on national TV in a big stage like this. But, you know, to have to go to Toronto on Christmas, uh, I'm having yeah, a hard great. time getting excited about it. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate, but, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe something will happen. Maybe there'll be an interesting team early in the year, and it'll have more juice by then, but. No Philly, no Milwaukee. Like, I could have thought of a, you know, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I guess on Christmas, you know, we want to be able to spend time with the family, enjoy that. No one wants to be all sitting there being hostile about Kyrie. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's better to get it yes. out of the way. Maybe, maybe there's a favor by having, like, not that not on TV so families don't, like, fight about Kyrie and yell the TV for a long time. NBC Sports <laughs> Boston's Chris Forsberg. Chris, you're the best. I appreciate the time, man. Uh, Look, we have some dead time. Enjoy yourself. Are you on vacation? Are you? Is there a vacation coming up at some point for you? I know there's. This is the uh, time I, where people do it. I'm disappearing a little bit in August to uh, to go play to, to, to down go down to, to to Myrtle Beach where my uh, my family's got some some property and we'll uh, uh, relax with the family, delete Twitter for a couple of weeks, and uh, and uh, get back at it uh, when things start uh, getting interesting again. Absolutely. Man, enjoy yourself. You and everybody else at NBC Sports Boston definitely have earned it, especially this past season and all the stuff you had to deal with. Congratulations <laughs> on all your success. We'll talk soon, Chris, okay? All right. Thank you, brother. Talk soon. And that will do it for this episode of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Want to thank Chris Forsberg for joining us today. I love Chris, one of my favorite dudes to talk to, regardless of whether it's Celtics related or not. I love just, he's just a great chap. I uh, want to thank betonline.ag. Make sure you guys go to clnsmedia.com backslash Celtics beat. Use that promo code CLNS50, that's five zero, for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $25 or more. Again, Patriots plus 600 win the Super Bowl. Like that a lot. Just, just keep that in mind for future reference. Uh, want to thank you guys, my lovely audience. You guys are the greatest people of all time, right? I think so. I think you guys are awesome. I want to thank Adam Coffin for letting me host today. He'll be back next week. We'll see. And it, tentatively, he'll be back next week. We'll, we'll find out more later on in the next week. You'll hear from one of us, you know, asking you guys, uh, for questions. Want to thank Nick, John, Larry, all the people back at Sealing Us Media that make this show possible. And again, one more time, you guys, you guys are the best people ever. 
Gino. Let's get out of here. See you next week, guys.